Hello and welcome to the CA Agenda, a brand new podcast brought to you by ICAS. I'm your host, Indy Hoti, and over the next few months, I'll be speaking with some truly inspirational CAs about the challenges and opportunities currently facing the accountancy profession and the wider business world. This podcast is part of the CA Agenda Thought Leadership Content Series from ICAS, which focuses on the three key themes of technology, trust, and talent. Go to ICAST.com and search CA Agenda to explore our thought leadership content and learn more about the agenda. On this episode of the podcast, recorded in November 2019, I'm joined by Johnny Jacobs. At the time of recording, Johnny was the head of finance at MS Foods. He has since moved into a new role as the finance director for Starbucks in the EMEA region. Johnny trained with KPMG, where he first experienced working with clients in the food and drinks industry. He then moved on to spend some time at Heineken and John Menzies before joining Pladis Global, owner of famous brands such as McVitie's and Cars. It was during his seven years at the Snacks Company that Johnny began his work in promoting awareness of mental health issues in the workplace and he led Pladis's mental and well-being agenda, spearheading the organisation's involvement in the Let's Talk campaign with mental health charity Mind. Johnny recently moved from Pladis to M&S Foods, where he is the head of finance and continues his work on the subject of mental fitness and recently joined the board of the Mental Health Foundation. Welcome, Johnny. Good to have you here. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure to be here. So you've got quite you've had quite an interesting career journey thus far, and there's lots to unpick and unpack in this show. But I guess I want to start right from the top. So what made you decide on a career in accountancy? That is an interesting question. Not quite sure where to start. I suppose as a kid, I'd always been quite entrepreneurial. And that was partly because I grew up in a bit of a working class family and always needed a little bit of cash. And I think I probably equated entrepreneurialism with liking money, liking commerce. So therefore I thought I would be an accounting and finance professional. When I was about nine, ten years old, I used to run the local car wash business. So I used to employ local my fellow kids around the street to wash cars. Um, at the end of a Saturday, I would probably walk away with about 50 quid in my literally bucket of cash. I'd give them a couple. And one day they actually went on strike and refused to work for me because apparently that wasn't fair. And I think I'd done a lot of this entrepreneurial things as as, as a kid and thought, with that, I should go and try and go into business. Wow, so an absolute hustler then, basically, as a, as a young kid, is, uh, is what I'm hearing. Uh, a hustler with ethics. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad. So if we fast forward to sort of Johnny, who's slightly older, who um, has gone through university and has decided his career sort of path and progression, and you joined uh, KPMG. So what was how, how was that experience for you? I think, first of all, I, I felt hugely grateful to join KPMG. I was the first person in my family to go to university. In fact, I didn't really know what university was. I remember going down to Glasgow Uni and speaking to them about what was university. And before I went, I left school after fifth year and went straight into it. And 
I didn't really know what the Big Four was at the time. So much so that in second year, most people were going to try and get internships and I couldn't get one because a lot, lot of people were getting them through their friends, their family. And I actually thought that was a bit nepotistic. I wasn't a particular fan of that. And I really struggled. I remember writing to all these different accountancy firms to try and get a job. And I kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get an internship. And eventually one business gave me an opportunity and off the back of that that then helped me understand an awful lot more about accounting profession so when it came to join KPMG I knew what I was getting myself in for because I'd already done the role with the mid-tier accounting firm so joining I felt very grateful to land there and most of my clients were food and drinks businesses and also a lot of hospitality and services and I absolutely loved that and it was it was a really good few years at KPMG But it's hard, as we all know as well, trying to marry up studying at the same time as working. It's not easy. So skipping forward in terms of your career journey and the move from KPMG um, into the food and food and drinks industry into sector. So that is for those people, you know, in the accountancy practice in Big Four, once they've qualified, it's quite common for a lot of people to go into into industry. What made you make that move? Well, First of all, I felt super lucky because I had got my first role in Heineken uh, after KPMG in a commercial finance role, and I just loved food and drink. I spent a lot of years in and out of factories, particularly a lot of distillation businesses or drinks businesses. And actually, I had a role in the accounts payable department when I was at university at Diageo. And that always sparked my interest. I remember going up to Port Dundas in Glasgow and the smell of that place was amazing. I just loved it. And I always wanted to get back into FMCG again. So I felt really lucky that I got that role. And because it was such a commercial role as well, I was working in the pub division and literally spent my days walking around pubs. I'm not a particularly big drinker, but it was just such a cool environment to be in, working with lots of different account managers, looking at the brands you'd put into pubs. And of course, it's so relevant. We all know and understand how pubs work and operate. So I really, really enjoyed that. It must have been a very big change from, you know, the the nice glass offices that you see of the big force or KPMG and the like to working on the ground with a business, with their portfolio at a number of different pubs. Definitely. And actually, I felt very much like a fish out of water because in the big four, it's so structured, first of all. You know your next career step. You know the people around you and just how it all works. There's career development, there's offices, there's meeting structures. And you go into a business like that where literally you're on the road and you do feel a little bit uneasy. It took me a while to get over that, to realise that things wouldn't quite be perhaps as perfect as as they might have been or they might not have been processes wouldn't have been people wouldn't have been as process literate for example or things career paths wouldn't have been as structured and it probably took me at least six to twelve months to get my head around that I I, I can imagine and I think that's a really interesting topic uh, touching on sort of moving from one industry to another and that potentially that that learning curve that you have to go through right and I think this is a really good segue into some of the areas that you've been involved with especially around the topic of mental health and mental fitness and so you've been championing a number of programs at organizations you've worked with and it's really interesting that in this current day and age that people are increasingly starting to talk about mental health and mental health in the workplace and breaking down that stigma and taboo. 
And so for you, was there a defining moment throughout that career journey that you had that you really decided that this is an area that I really want to focus in on? Mental health is the defining issue of our generation. There's no question. But it took me some time to realise that. And it also taken me some time to understand myself in all of this. When did it first become quite apparent? Well, a number of years ago when I was at Pladis, so the owner of McVitie's Biscuits, could I have a chocolate? So McVitie's obviously the UK's favourite biscuit brand. And at Pladis, they had signed the Mind time to change pledge and that pledge is designed to end the stigma of mental health in a workplace and I had my own lived experience of mental ill health through myself and friends and family and as you can imagine I just naturally gravitated towards the efforts of that pledge and at the same time I felt so privileged in my position it's following in the footsteps of a great man like you Indy um, <laughs> Too as, in the, <laughs> as the ambassador for Charles Accountant Institute and I don't know I just thought maybe this is an opportunity to that could be the issue perhaps that I might want to go after and champion and raise the profile of and having gone to One Young World as well that had a huge impact on me and I think all of those things with the narrative around mental health and people talking about it more realizing maybe I had my own experience of it and thinking I've got a platform potentially that I could use to try and drive the agenda. And at the same time, the business had just signed this pledge. It all just came together. So, Johnny, tell me more about the Let's Talk campaign, which was a partnership with Pladis and Mind Charity, right? That campaign reached 60 million people across the UK. Wow. Be Kind to Your Mind with McVitie's in Mind was seen across railway stations, transport networks, in people's homes. And it was all about how do you spread the message to have a conversation? What an incredibly proud moment. The team that worked on that was just incredible. But it all started with something that was truly authentic. And that was really, really important because this wasn't just let's go and take the nation's favourite biscuit brand and turning into something commercial this came from something that was truly meaningful i mentioned earlier that pladis had signed the mind time to change pledge and that happened off the back of a very tragic incident in one of the sites and a few people got together and said what could the business or the teams have done differently and off the back signed a pledge and, and like i said i put my hand up and said i would be involved and Suddenly, we grew the ambassador network from five to over 120 of the most amazingly energetic and passionate ambassadors. And at the time I had moved into a new role, I felt incredibly privileged to be the strategy and transformation director for Pladis in the UK and decided to be the sponsor and lead that program. And with the energy of those ambassadors, we really started to go after the issue internally. So absolutely fascinating, Johnny, and it's really interesting to see how you took a negative experience that someone's had in the organisation and turned it into something positive and into positive action that's had such a broad reach. Um, so for the benefit of myself and I guess the listeners, tell me a bit more about the detail of the actual campaign itself and what you maybe would have done internally with the organisation as well. I think what we tried to do, Indy, was genuinely shift the culture within the business and create an environment where people felt like they could have conversations in tough times and also 
to promote positive mental fitness that ultimately drives both personal happiness and also performance as well, because ultimately it is a business at the same time. And we did this by really setting the tone from the top, because that's fundamentally important. But it wasn't easy. I remember going round the leaders at the time and saying, look, do you want to do something around mental health or sign this pledge? And of course, nobody's going to turn around to you and say, let's not do something around mental health. But of course, the minute you ask for money, you might get a slightly different answer. So we decided to do it as a bit of a pilot within the UK. And we're such a supportive team. And we quickly got some stories from some senior people and started to create that environment, create that permission to say this is something that's really, really important. And then we went out and said, well, what's the commitments that Pladis or McVitie's is making to the colleagues? And it was about genuinely trying to shift the culture and create that environment to have conversations. And then started to campaign and take national days and across all the sites started to raise the profile. It was around education, it was around talking and it was just around creating a bit of a safer space. And I remember we got the budget at that point to train every single line manager across the UK and also to provide mental health awareness training. So we went out and we made a commitment. We re-signed the pledge and we did it in quite a public way and made the commitment at the same time. And it was amazing because it just set the tone. It said we're actually, you know, Pladis is actually going to do something different, which it which it was, and it was probably quite leading at the time. That's absolutely fantastic to hear. And I think one of the points that you made around the tone from the top and leadership and having that support, I think is really important because that helps to drive the narrative and help people understand that actually this is okay to talk about um, in the workplace and this isn't a taboo. And you talked about creating safe spaces to have conversations and have open conversations. So how did you actually facilitate that within Pladis? Well, I think some of it, it would was physically creating a room, right? If people wanted to go and have that conversation. The other one was there was over 120 of the most amazing ambassadors. And those ambassadors were trained and were there to signpost people to some of the services. So that was a space and a connection that people could have to have that conversation. But also you can set the tone from the top you can have the ambassadors, but you've also got to get into that frozen middle. And that frozen middle is line management. And that's where conversations happen as well. So how do you train line managers? And how do you get the message across that it's okay to have those conversations? That's what's really, really important. And I think you touched on that point about the senior leadership. And I remember, so we created this leadership video and posted it on the internal network. And it got more likes and more watches than some of the MD's town halls that I would always like to remind him about. And actually, even when Pladis held a town hall to re-sign the pledge, more people turned up for that than some of the MD town halls. Wow, I absolutely love that. It must have been a shocking moment, a very positive moment for a lot of the leadership to see that actually people are getting behind this campaign in, in such a positive way. Yeah, definitely. And I think there is a shift in narrative because... People often say, so one in three UK sick notes is driven by a mental health issue, or one in three people will suffer from a mental health issue in any given year, or one in four, or two-thirds of people will suffer from a mental health issue in their lifetime. But the narrative is shifting. We've all got mental health, because if I say to you, mental health, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? 
you know, people think about that invisible illness, right? But you can't never, it's intangible. You can't define it in a, in a, in a, in a specific way. Exactly. So people come up with the illness or they'll say depression, anxieties, ill health. But if I say to you physical health, what's the first thing that comes into your head? You think your ability to walk, talk. Yeah, exactly. So it's the positive side of it or it's an athlete or it's mm. a footballer. So why is it that people always go to the positive on physical health, but then go to the negative on mental health? And the narrative shifting now because it's not about one in three or one in four people have got an issue. It's one in one. We all have mental health. So therefore... I think the reason why people are engaging with it is we're starting to see that it's not just the ill health side of it. It's we can all do something to improve our mental health, just like you focus on your physical health. Something that's really interesting to talk about in the context of the accountancy industry and you being a finance director and finance leader, were people quite surprised that you were spearheading this sort of narrative and campaign around mental health? Because they wouldn't necessarily expect it, right? I do get that every now and again. I, I do wonder how much of that is just in my own head. So I'll give an example. When And I followed in your footsteps, of course, by giving the keynote speech at the admissions ceremony. And I remember, I mean, I was very nervous, first of all. And I remember thinking, I might talk about mental health. And I thought, well, I'm not really sure how that's going to go down. And I went up and I talked about it. And I spent a few minutes talking about the importance of mental health in a workplace and the role that finance professionals can play within that. And afterwards, I got a message from somebody in the audience on LinkedIn. And in the message, they said to me how what it meant to them that a finance professional had taken the time to talk about mental health in such a public forum. And often, when I'm a little bit down myself or I feel like people are questioning perhaps the agenda or what we're trying to do in mental health, and it's tough because not everyone, you know, you don't always get the cut through on this it's hard you've got to keep promoting what it is we're trying to do on mental health and not everyone will automatically buy in to driving mental health within business and I often think back to that message that I got and the impact of just talking about it had on one person's life and every single time we share a story and every time we talk about it we are giving hope to other people and I think that's really really important so I do think people can look and say, well, why is some random Scottish accountant talking about mental health? But actually, finance people and accountants are best placed to be talking about this because we work across the heart of the organisation. We have access to stakeholders across the business and finance people have got a huge amount of credibility and influence. And given that mental health is the defining issue of our generation... Why shouldn't we grasp it and try and make a difference? I absolutely agree with you. I think you using your your platform, your role, and be able to leverage that and to be able to drive that change is what's needed. And I'm, I absolutely applaud you for what you've done thus far. But I guess you touching on that piece around this being a topic for our generation, I would challenge you and say, well, actually, this has always been a topic ongoing. It might have been brushed under the carpet. And it's something millennials and Gen Z are talking about more and more and obviously employers are now needing to rethink their approach to things like flexible working and uh, CSR days being able to give back and other activities to promote a positive state of mind. So I guess with with that context and background what's what's the risk to businesses and organizations if mental health or mental fitness isn't on their agenda? 
mental health has such a huge impact on business. And if you believe certain surveys, they'll say that the cost of mental ill health in the UK is anything between 25 billion and 100 billion a year. So it's a huge, it's a huge issue. And on average, one in three UK sick notes is driven by a mental health issue. Now, you might say that that's actually low because a lot of people don't feel comfortable disclosing that the reason why they're off is due to mental ill health. And we know that people that are suffering from any type of mental ill health in business are less productive. They're over 40% more likely to get to conflict with their colleagues. And they're also less likely to be able to deal with multiple tasks at the same time. So all of that will tell you that there's a cost to business if businesses do not face into this. And I think for the younger generation coming through, they probably have a higher degree of expectation of what businesses will offer in its widest sense, a happier, more purposeful environment. You know, 25% of the working population is millennials. And in the next five years, that's going to double to about 50%. Yet only 2% of leadership positions across the world, whether it's in government or in business, are millennials. So you have this group of people defining the destiny of over 50% of the population when never at a time has the expectations been so different. There's definitely a disconnect there, right, with the sort of demographic of leadership and the workforce that is that is coming through. And there's uh, expectations that differ, especially around sort of wider supportive activity that an organisation can, un- can undertake. Now, at, at Pladis and the Let's Talk campaign, I think that was fantastic. You really... Um, leaned into the strength of Pladis, using the McVitie's brand as an opportunity to have a conversation, to have a tea with the digestive. And so what could other, what could businesses in other sectors and other industries really do around improving the mental health agenda for any of those business leaders that perhaps may be listening to this podcast? I think you have to come up with something that's right for the nuances of that organisation. So if I talk about a couple, so t- so take Pladis. So ultimately, when do you have a conversation, as you say, over a cup of tea? And if there's one thing that British people are absolutely fanatical about, that is tea and a biscuit. So why don't you have tea talk and a biscuit? And hence, what came off the back of that was McVitie's in mind because it made sense and it resonated and had a really, really powerful message. And I think organisations should look with a deep within their values, deep within their purpose, their mission, and what works for them. So you often see, for example, businesses in the construction industry doing very specific things relating to that because there might be a higher demographic of men, for example. So therefore, how do you design a mental health campaign, particularly around men? If you look at the highest killer for under 35s in the UK is actually suicide. So there's particular demographic things that we need to look into and try and take care of. So I think you have to look deep within the demographic of the organisation. At M&S, where I'm at at the moment, very proud to be part of, we've also got lots of initiatives, both internal and external. And again, we are doing what we think is right for Marks and Spencers as an organisation. So your current role at M&S, right, um, coming off the back of all the initiatives that you worked on at Pladis and now at the head of finance finance at M&S Foods. So how did you sort of restart that conversation around mental health or did you need to restart that conversation? Was, was there programmes already in place around mental fitness? The great thing about M&S is we're already 
playing in a space and taking a lead on things. A number of years ago, we did a partnership, we formed a partnership with Ruby Wax to create the Frazzled Cafes. A number of our cafes are used to support mental health sessions. And only a number of weeks ago, we signed quite an unprecedented partnership with the Samaritans and six other major retailers called Wellness in Retail. And we've also just signed another mental health pledge. And at the same time, we've just upweighted our employee assistance programme, particularly around the services of mental health. So I think we already have lots of tools in place. Now, just having the tools doesn't mean that you've got a mental health culture or agenda or you've created an environment to have conversations. It's got to resonate within a business and you've got to walk the talk. And I think every single business can sign what they want. We can get into partnerships, but you've got to create that environment, that culture. And I think that's where you'll always find it's pocketed. Like earlier on, I said about the frozen middle of line managers. And I think there'll be some people that have got a great experience around mental fitness, positive mental fitness, the culture within their teams. And there'll be other areas where it's probably less positive. And I think every business has got that challenge. And if we talk about culture, right, and culture change is generally a a longer-term endeavour within organisations. It's something that is very difficult to change overnight. So when when you're talking about the sort of mental health programmes you're leading, do you have a time frame of, say, six months, 12 months or longer when you're working on some of these initiatives to try and really impact culture within an organisation? I think it's a really interesting question, that. One of the things about when when you try to build a mental health initiative, you're actually not only trying to build a mental health initiative, what you're actually trying to do is shift the culture to create a much more open environment in its widest sense. And anybody will tell you that shifting culture takes lots and lots of time, years and years and years. The challenge is, I, one thing I'm not blessed with is patience. <laughs> uh, everyone will tell you that. It's one of my personal growth areas, Indy, <laughs> uh, as you will no doubt well know. Same for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think there's nothing stopping businesses very quickly pulling a plan together. There's nothing stopping businesses getting that signed off and getting the sponsorship. And there's also nothing stopping businesses very quickly starting to enact some of those activities, whether it's campaigning, whether it's around talks, whether it's around tools and training. But of course, what does take time is that really resonating. I think CAs are perfectly placed at the heart of organisations to drive these different agendas, like I said earlier. And I think if we can use our influence to do it with passion and with the motivation that we have, I think any recognition that we might need or any fulfilment, I think that comes with it. And what's really important though is that we don't overburden. So people like you that you know want to change the world and get involved in different things, you've therefore got to make sure that you manage the day job at the same time. And then ultimately we'll end up all of us affect our own mental health because we'll end up trying to do too much. It's always that that balancing act, right? And I think it's it's a really interesting point to make because I've 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 gone through similar experiences, and actually, as a CA, as a young finance professional, you know how do how do you how do you manage your your mental health, your mental fitness? It's definitely something that's front of mind. I mean, I naturally have one speed, and that's hundred miles an hour, and I've always had to try and 
manage that. And a lot of that probably comes from, I had quite a challenging childhood and I'd always been really focused on getting stuff done. It's one of my one of my major strength stroke overdeveloped strengths um, that sometimes does drive me um, or can drive me a little bit mad as well because I'm always switched on, always doing things. So I often have to tell myself just to balance and take time out for me as well as, you know, work and the team and, and other people around me. And I do have to, and it's somebody who plays and who does, speaks a lot about this and plays in this space. I have to really focus on this. I have to really focus on me. So for me, it's about physical exercise, going to the gym. I love playing tennis, uh, going for walks, spending time with, you know, my wife and friends and, and family, all of traveling. I love traveling. All of that are the things that balance me out, but it doesn't come naturally. I'm hardwired into task and into keep doing things. So it is a bit of a focus for me. So what would your advice be to other young professionals, especially those who are starting out their careers, so all the analysts in the finance industries, all those studying for their chartered accountancy, their CA exams? What would I tell my younger self, I suppose, if I was back at KPMG studying? I think, first of all, I would like to think I'd have the courage to set some boundaries. I've probably worked too many hours. Um, and the non-negotiables, the things that were really important to me. And I think having that open and honest conversation, I probably didn't really feel comfortable exposing my own personal vulnerability back then. And actually looking back on it, that probably led to me not having certain conversations that might actually have led to a better outcome. So I think that's important. And I think it is just about balance, finding out where you get your positive energy from. One of the difficult things is that from a very, very young age, we spend all of our time focused on building one side of our brain. So it's the logical side. If you think about whether it's studying you know, maths and physics or chemistry, at primary school through to secondary school, then into university, then into training to be an accountant, most of what you do is the logical side. You don't really spend that much time on the right-hand side, the emotional side. And therefore, I think sometimes we become a little bit hardwired just to do the task, and that actually becomes acceptable. It wasn't until I was, what, 30? So a number of years ago, you could work that one out. And I did my first ever Myers-Briggs, and I found out that I was red and blue, which you know means you're quite headstrong and quite into the detail, like a lot of um, finance people are. And... At that point, I then it then tells you about how you interact with other people and helps you understand more about your emotional self and who you are as a person. And I thought to myself, wow, that's taken me to that age to find out more about me, what makes me tick, how to deal with me and how I interact with other people. And then I then started to do lots of courses and things around you know, emotional intelligence and some of the, the softer things, which of course we actually know the harder things. And I'd be sitting in in these courses and having these conversations or maybe I'm getting coached or mentored. And I'd be sat there thinking, God, this doesn't work. I'm having these conversations. I should be like doing something that is much more technical because that's work. But actually that's not the things that will make a successful in life. As we all know, as we get further on in our careers, it's less about the technical ability. It's more about the stakeholder management and it's about relationships, engaging with people. But it took me far too many years to realise that. So I think if I was going back to my younger self or I was giving or if I was giving any tips to people studying, it's have the balance across both of those things. And so for anyone who is suffering from mental health issues or has been affected by anything that we've 
discussed today, where could they go to to get some formal support? I think what's really positive about today's environment is there are lots of places that anybody can turn, whether it's calling up the Samaritans, whether it's looking at your local mind or looking at the fantastic work of the Mental Health Foundation or speaking to the right person in work, whether it's phoning up your employee assistance programme, for example, or speaking to any ambassadors or buddies that you may have in work or naturally contacting your local GP. Wherever you are, I'm pretty confident that there'll be some services out there that can support. But remember, where we're at today, it's, it's about promoting positive mental fitness as well. So I encourage everyone to think about mental health in its widest sense. Thank you for your words of wisdom and thank you for your time on the show with us today. Johnny Jacobs. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the CA Agenda. Join me next time when I'll be speaking to CEO of the Elders, David Nussbaum.